Ariel, good night. Good morning to you there. Thank you so much. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I was actually wondering, you know, it's it's mid-December at this point, and the question is, is how many of us are uh, Zoomed out? I sort of like, like to mix it up a little bit, like I'm trying a new camera system now, but I think it's actually amazing that you and I, given the fact that we are in so many of these, now like eight, nine months into this, we are still so gung-ho about connecting to people even if it's weird and remote and virtual, it's still so important for us to connect to people. So we do this a lot and it's been a lifesaver, right? It, it really has. And I really appreciate the fact that you, in the middle of the night, because you're in Cali, United yeah. States, it's what, 1.30 a.m.? Yeah, but you know, I'm famously a night person. So this is like my afternoon. Amazing. So I appreciate you cutting your sleep short to sit down with me, to connect with me. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're an important guy, you know, so I have to do it. I'm definitely not important. Definitely not important. And definitely not as important as you are, because you are the, the king of watch blogging. And that's what we miss in the, because we always reconnect at the fairs in Europe, Geneva, Basel, or wherever. And, and yeah, we miss that. So that's why we started the Ace This Live. And it has been an amazing journey. You are 21st guest on the show, or this is the oh. 21st episode and and it's been amazing and and it's been received well uh, a lot of viewers a lot of comments a lot of feedback so yeah that's fun um the format is we do a quick intro a risk check then we do these seven da's list questions and then we're going to do freestyle ariel i already introduced you as the king of watch blogging you started 13 years ago if i'm not mistaken 2007 yeah Give me a short intro. Who are you? Where are you? How old are you? Why do you love SpongeBob, etc.? Ah, so many times I've introduced myself. Okay, so um, I'm someone that began my passion for watches probably very early on in life, but in my early 20s in college, I became a watch lover. I knew that this was a hobby I, I had. And several years later, in 2007, I, I started a blog. It was just supposed to be a hobby for me to talk about something I liked because I didn't have enough friends in person that wanted to hear about watches. I went to the internet and that worked out very well. Um, I have a training as a lawyer, so I run the company carefully and ethically and, and we have a really big dedication to transparency um, and editorial integrity and doing our best job possible to represent the interests of the consumer to help them through this really complicated but exciting hobby because if you don't know what you're doing, you can just not have the most satisfying purchase. And the more you know about watches, the more emotional connection you'll have to the pieces you have, and that will make this hobby that much more satisfying. So I have this sort of like odd mission to help people enjoy watches more because it's a, it's a wonderful distraction. Um, this is a very strange industry and we've met some crazy characters and some beautiful people like my friends in Amsterdam here. And it's these individuals that share passion for the same things where you can get together once in a while and wear a cool watch and have other people say, oh, I get it. That would make me very happy to wear as well. And then you swap watches. This is yeah. an incredible part of being a watch aficionado that I never would have guessed about when I really got into it early on in you know the early 2000s, buying watches on eBay. I never would have guessed that I would have made friends and gone to these great social experiences to meet people and share that passion. So I run a magazine, it's blog2watch.com. I'm I write in all kinds of places like that. I've, you know, written thousands upon thousands upon thousands of articles. Um, we have nearly 9,000 articles on a blog to watch at this point. 
hundreds of podcasts, gone to all the shows, traveled, you know, monthly for a decade. And the one thing that I have on my mind right now, and I'm wondering if you have it on your mind as well, is when will when will the travel and the experiences return, right? Because the watches don't mean as much when you don't get to wear them in exotic locales, um, meeting interesting rare people. Like, when do you think we're going to return to this lifestyle? How long are we going to have to wait along? So thank you for that intro. Um, I, that, I'll answer your question. Just I want to uh, respond to your first part. And that's what I love about you is that passion for watchmaking. Um, we've been doing this for 13 years. Funnily enough, we started with the same mission back in 2007 with our e-com operation, the first in Europe for sure. And we were granted the first online dealership by the Swiss watch brands back in the day. Um, what I love so much about a blog to watch, and I believe it was a blog to read back in the day. Yeah. Was because I've been I've been following you and reading your posts since 2007. Is you're definitely not a watch snob. And <laughs> your blog, I think, is one of the few or maybe only one that does almost the full spectrum of the watchmaking industry. Whereas most, and this is not a criticism, do only high-end. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, your niche is as well that you do a wider spectrum of watch brands, so also lower price points and... You especially have a passion for micro brands, am I right? Well, you're definitely right about how much I value variety. Um, you know, the funny thing is I actually think I'm quite a snob, but I think that I'm, I sort of make my own rules as to what a snob is. For okay. me, good watches aren't because they come from a popular brand. Good watches are because there's this wonderful chemistry of elements, of quality, of design, of engineering, of price, and you can be a very small brand and get it right once in a while, or you can be a great brand and mess it up all the time. And so if you're really in it for the watches, price is not necessarily a factor. Don't get me wrong. You usually have to spend a lot of money for a great watch. I mean, this is the reality of these precious, difficult to make little objects. But you can also be a very happy co collector and never spend more than $1,000 on a watch ever. I and agree. I don't have to sit there and say, I'm only into watches at this price point. A lot of people limit themselves, which is an odd situation. Um, I think there's wonderful things across the board. I think a great watch, if you had to make a measurement of what was a great watch, price would be a criteria, but by no means the sole criteria at all. And so you can evaluate watches across the board to look for interesting things or just fun, noteworthy things like that. So I'm a cool watch snob. I don't like boring watches. I probably... Um, you know, forget a lot of things that are very mainstream and in interest because I'm just not, it's not something I would wear because it brings me no emotional value. So for me, I think the guys that just focus on price, I see that as really being about insecurity or just uh, just um, ignorance. I don't mean that in a bad way. They just don't know enough about watches to look beyond price. You know what I mean? And that's why you created a blog. So uh, touche. And to answer your second question or your, your question, actually, when should we travel? I truly, truly hope this summer. So yesterday, I think LVMH announced that Dubai Watch Week is not going to happen physically. So it's virtually um, uh, SIHH or the the formerly uh, the artist formerly known as SIHH <laughs> Wonders is also digital, I think. So things are messed up. So I'm hoping for the second half of 2021 is going to be better. Reconnecting. We finally can hug, shake hands. 
and get rid of these masks. So I'm positive for next year. So we need to, to zoom a little bit more for another six months. Um, thank you so much for the long intro. Uh, we aim to keep this at one hour, Ariel. I know we will have a huge difficulty keeping it at 60 minutes. So let's do a quick wrist check. I saw something beautiful yellow on your wrist. What are you wearing today? Yeah, so like I said, I had a small assortment of watches in front of me that I've been wearing um, just in the last couple of weeks, just some of them. You know, the funny thing about the pandemic is I still have an enormous variety of new watches to play with all the time. This is the SpongeBob SquarePants 2. Uh, yeah. This is a very, very popular limited edition from Unimatic that came out recently. I'm a I'm a SpongeBob fan. I like I like good cartoons and things like that. You know, it's amazing to me how watches that celebrate pop culture are so trendy and so in right now. You know, some of them get it right. Maybe I would do things a little bit different here and there, but yeah. the enjoyment I get from wearing these, this watch has been noticed so many times. And if you want like a conversation starter that makes people happy, this is a great social gadget. You know, maybe not the best thing during the pandemic, but normally the, the type of attention you get from this really justifies wearing no, watches. It's fun. It's fun. For I love it. I love it. And Unimatic is doing an amazing job. If I'm not mistaken, it's an Italian brand, right? Yeah, they're based in Italy. You know, look, they it's a very simple concept. You 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 make an affordable, kind of like retro, modern looking uh watch. You know, they they celebrate themes. It's just a, a Seiko automatic movement in there. Yeah. I think the originality comes in the integration with pop culture, the packaging, um, the way they're able to strip down elements. I mean, they they do these bezels, these rotating bezels, uh, that only have a small marker at the sort of 60 minute indicator. Which yeah. it's you know it's it looks great it makes it makes very little sense functionally you have like some old like dive you know pi pilot watches and dive watches that have that but it looks sexy and they just like yes if it looks sexy let's do it and there's not enough of that in Switzerland where they're like okay let's just make it look sexy there's so many unsexy watches that come out that are so expensive and it's like you know you're like oh could you if you just made it a little bit sexier I would have wanted it what was going on so celebrate yeah. that type of Ability to take something nerdy, which is SpongeBob, but make it very adult and fun. That. Look what just landed at my desk. Okay, what you got there? That's the oh Bamford Aqua Racer Tag Hoyer. That's and, so funny that's you mentioned that because I'm holding one too. <laughs> and the <laughs> funny thing is, what you say is spot on. I love Tag Hoyer, and I've been loving Tag Hoyer ever since I'm a kid. I own several of them, and I never owned an Aqua, although I had the 2000, the old pre, uh, the, the the predecessor of the. Hey, look, I'm pulling a Leonardo DiCaprio. If you understand that reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a fan of Bamford, George Bamford. Not everything he does. I like a lot of Zenith he did. Um, some uh, tag hoys with Black Badger, but this one, fell in love immediately. And because yeah, you know, I spent an hour actually last night um, interviewing him on a podcast, and we we talked a lot about this watch. So I have like a lot of background on it now. Okay, awesome. I'm gonna listen to that as soon as we get off. But and and, and I analyzed this watch, and I said, why do I like it so much? Because he made it sexy. So what you're saying is spot on. But what did I strap on today? Is a micro brand because that's something that we share. Can you spot it? Yeah, you, you mentioned this. Uh, a bunch of people on uh, Instagram got it already. 
Uh, yeah. This is where they split up the, uh, the the hour and minutes in these sort of uh, correct oblong circles. Correct. So this, this is does it for you. Nada. Also Italian, made watchmaking sexy. So so this is like a new small brand you guys carry. Well, the funny thing is, we were the first to represent him in the Netherlands back in the days, but the poor guy didn't survive. So this is now. <laughs> One of them that we traded back in. Ooh. We have it for sale, but a watch freak that I am, I don't want to let it go, right? Because I love it so much. And this is something that I want to discuss with you later on, that the perpetual discussion between micro brands, independents versus the, the mass-produced ones okay. is the leg legible and the legitimacy of uh, their legacy if you can't main maintain them anymore, do maintenance. So that's something I want to discuss with you later on. And that's also a reason why I strapped this on. But okay, enough if about you, that. Look, look, let's put it this way. Uh, some watches you can find someone to repair it. Some watches you can't find someone to repair it. No matter what, you're going to be paying more than you want to, like most of the time. <laughs> well put. Well put. You'll so, be, be lucky if you find someone that can fix your watch. That's that's really what it is. If you find someone like, oh, I can fix it, no problem. Pay the price, because otherwise you're going to have something that you're going to be not I able agree. to fix ever. I agree. I agree. And and the revival that's been going on for almost two decades, the beauty of it is there's more attention also to repairs and maintenance and good watchmakers repairing old stuff. And the first that comes to mind is Michel Parmigiani. But we see more and more of these guys. I forgot the name of a... I think he's a Romanian watchmaker, which makes spectacular watches. I need to look it up. Anyways, so let's dive into the seven questions for the Ace List show. The first one, Ariel. What watch or jewel is your favorite and why? What do you mean? What is a jewel in this context? Like literally like a jewel? You can choose. Watch or jewel? I'm like so stuck in that dichotomy. I've never seen these two options. Good, no? Because some people say it's my wedding band. Some people, we sell watches instead of wedding bands. So a watch is a jewel, right? But we, Look, you can... I have this famous your... article that, that, that talks about why I don't choose favorites because I feel like I'm getting married to one thing. And for me, it's variety. I like watches because I don't have to choose a favorite. In life, yeah. we're always asked to choose. In this hobby, no one forces you to... Only your budget forces you to choose. So literally, it's as many as I can get. If I have thousands upon thousands of watches when I die, maybe that will make me happy, right? Everybody wants to feel satisfied in their deathbed. Maybe that's for me. I don't want to have to choose any favorites. All I hear is like my friends agonizing. I got to I gotta cut back my collection. I got to get rid of stuff. It sounds agonizing. Don't buy a watch if you think you're going to have to get rid of it. Just don't. It's, 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 it's brutal. That's wonderful to hear. I love that fact. And... I love the fact about the agonizing. I love the fact about quantity. I'm also a quantity guy versus the one and the pinnacle one and the ultimate one. I also love the variety and the, 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 the luxury of choosing. When is enough for you, though? Look, I mean... The great thing about watches is they take up very little space, except when you take in consideration the box. Yeah. People who have a lot of money, even if they want to buy all the cars they want, they have no place to put them. Great. Now, you don't have to be extraordinarily wealthy to be able to be a watch collector. That's fantastic. It's very, very democratic. You could be like 
middle class and still buy a few watches a year and be very, very happy. And so I think that it's great that you can just physically have a lot of them. Ultimately, yeah. you have to be able to pay all your other bills first and, you know, disposable income is where you put watches. I see people buying watches like a financial instrument. They think it's going to go up in value. They want it to. This is a bad idea. This is a recipe for being let down. Buy a watch because you enjoy it and you want other people to, to, to see it on you and you want to go do fun activities with it. If you think that you're going to make money with a watch, you're going to end up hating watches because you're going to only see it as this frustrating um, item where you're trying to like buy future demand and all you need to do is buy something popular. Oh, Rolex, a lot of people know that. A lot of people want it. Simple formula. It's not very complicated. So I, I think it's really just about getting them for the right reason and just don't don't overdo it. Like everything else in life, like you got to know what your own moderation is. How old are you now? You know, people drinking. You just you got to know what your own moderation is. I agree. How old are you? 38. 38. So we came up, about, I'm 41, so you're early 80s. I'm just last year of the 70s. So you also came up with G-Shocks. Your T-shirt is a G-Shock T-shirt, right? Yes. Swatches? Um, here's the thing, and I'll be perfectly honest. This is kind of ironic. When I was young, I only wore Casio G-Shocks, yeah. and I would look at analog watches, and I was thinking to myself, why would they limit themselves to, to, you know, reading the time in such a complicated way? Like digital so much faster. Why would, they're stuck in the past. You have all these other functions, calendar and chronograph and all this stuff in digital. It's got, it does one thing. It just tells the time. Seems so boring. So I didn't get into Swatch until a lot later. And Funny. the thing, Swatch makes some beautiful products, but it amazes me how loud they are. Like, as a kid, I, I would have hated it. I'm so glad I never had to wear it because I had a silent Casio and the ticking would have drove, driven me nuts. Funny. I'm exactly the opposite. So I grew up, I had a swatch. My dad gave me a swatch even before I could read time because my dad started in 83 selling because he loved the concept and the idea and the innovation about it. G-Shocks as well. But I find reading digital times more difficult than analog. So I always translate the four digits that are vertical in my mind to a, a, a circular thing. So I'm exactly the opposite. But You're such an I'm, analog guy. Yeah, it's funny, huh? And um, now that we're talking, what dawns on, upon me is I think we share the passion for bold, colorful, and collecting a lot. I think it comes from the fact that G-Shocks and Swatches weren't that expensive. They were the trendsetters to collect, I think, in mainstream. And that sparked, I think, in us to wear a lot change a lot like bold colors bold designs um so yeah that's funny okay awesome thank you for sharing second question what did you want to be when you grew up and where did you grow up by the way always cali so, i grew up very close to where i'm living right now in los angeles i have lived in some other places uh, i was in san francisco when i started uh, a blog to watch yeah i you know like every kid goes for through a few things but all of the careers I had in mind was an adventuring scientist, like a paleontologist or, you know, an, like an archaeologist or marine biologist for a long time. Some type of adventuring scientist, which ironically would have been one of the professions that would have worn a lot of the tool watches I like. Yes. So I, I, I got to do more of the science now, right? 
So we'll find some academic studies about uh, the watchmaking industry, which you actually do, because I loved one of your most recent articles, Watch Pro and Europe a Star, but maybe we'll get into that a bit later. Um, third question, who is or was your role model or models? Boy, it's uh, some people might hate me for saying this, but the thing is I think we live in a world where there's not a lot of great role models, like a lot of the world's politicians um, just haven't really done things uh, that you know make them great role models, heroes, and things like that. Recent, recently, especially, less recently, there's been more role models. So I think that we live in a world where we need more heroes. Um, but I thought about this actually um, a couple years ago because I was like, I never thought of myself as someone that has like an idol or role model. I mean, of course, I respected you know family members and things like that, uh, you know, father, grandfather, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But this one person and I and I met him. And he's a watch lover and stuff like that. And it's, it's so cheesy. But if you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm -hmm. he's gotten away with pretty much every guy thing that is imaginable successfully, um, both professionally and, and career-wise. I mean, you know, shot the biggest guns, traveled through time, killed aliens, conquered armies, been the governor. You know, just he's done everything. And he's such a well-respected yeah, person. And I met him. And he's amazing. He's an amazing guy. And we have the same hobby, watches. So, you know, people like him, Stallone as well. Yeah. Um, Sly. They, they were actually the real uh, influences, which I hate that word, by the way. Yeah. But, uh, authentic, passionate. And um, there wasn't like a, yeah, there wasn't like a nerdy Instagram watch community for like, you know, like Stallone or, or Schwarzenegger to get into. They just yeah. had to be like, yeah, watches are cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> They figured yeah. it out. Amazing. All right, so cool. I, I have to say, you know, I, he's a completely different person than me. But, I mean, if, like, if you wanted anybody to, like, be related to you, I'd be like, man, that would be so cool. But you know what? Um, in Europe, we think Arnie's cool. And in the U.S., obviously, he's a hero. But what I love about him or his persona, he's the embodiment of the American dream, right? And yeah. in that sense, I agree that he is a role model because he literally went to so many stages of his evolution where he's almost coming to full circle, going into politics because he wants to make a change. I recently read or saw a video that he became vegan. And and uh, am I right? Or you don't know? I, I don't know. I, like I, I, said, know. I, I was shocked because I know the old pictures that he was in Austria drinking like 10 raw eggs before doing a workout and eating steaks and cigars. Look, at, at that age in his life, that's actually very healthy. The older you are, the more that becomes healthy. It's young people that should avoid being vegan. Yeah. So so that was interesting. Okay. Fourth question. If you could teleport tomorrow, where would you go? If I could tell... So, like, if I could go into the future. Wherever you can go. Today, tomorrow, uh, regular travel, time travel, everything is possible. Okay, well, I think I have to say that I like to remain within the realm of plausibility. I think there's a futility to some fantasy. Like, if you know something is not scientifically possible, why even bother thinking about it? So traveling back in time violates, like, all the rules of physics. I didn't want it to be so. The only plausible thing we could do is somehow rapidly advance in the future where we wouldn't perceive that it was happening through traveling close to the speed of light or somehow being frozen or something like that. So the only thing is potentially going in the future. That's the only option for me because everything else is implausible. Um, and then the question is, you know, do you have a, a dystopia or a utopia and when's that going to happen? 
and we might go through utopia dystopia cycles in the future. Now, I firmly believe that right now is one of the last times in human history that we will be able to enjoy a natural world. We will be able to go uh, and travel to parks and places and see things as they were before human intervention. Uh, within the next hundred, several hundred years, this is going to become decreasingly possible. Uh, the earth will be, like much of Europe, for example, generally formed by human activity. You know, Europe has been for, for so long tread and retread by human beings, very little of the natural structures are even there anymore. Um, so where I grew up in California, there's still a lot of natural space. And I think that it would be very difficult for our species to exist at a time where we weren't able to see that. So I basically want to go as far in the future as possible, but where I could still be in a world where you could enjoy natural beauty. It'd be very weird to live in a, in a world that is just like a big city, just one big human construct. Okay, I'm joining you in your fantasy and dream. Will we still have mechanical watches in that future? If it's something which is possible to be built, then I, I, I can't see why not. I think that the joy that we get out of these things intellectually, as well as from a social perspective is very, very enduring. And you look at the pandemic right now and you see how many people bought watches when that didn't even make any sense. People bought watches because they're a wonderful distraction and they allowed them to sort of cope, you know, retail therapy. Um, nobody was buying them because of social opportunities or because they were, you know, celebrating a raise or anything like that. Like watches are enduring. And I think at some point people will notice that. I don't know that that many people noticed that as, as well during the pandemic with everything else going on. But I think that as long as it is fun for a man to wear a watch, Women just have too many other options that men, men don't have. As long as that becomes fun, we'll do it. But if it becomes like, you know, horse carriages or something like that, you can only enjoy it at special events and you don't really have an opportunity, then yeah, it'll go by the wayside probably. Interesting. And it's interesting what you say about women because I don't totally concur with you. How much traffic or visitors or readers do you guys have that are female on a blog to watch? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not suggesting that women don't really I'm like just watches. Curious. I'm just curious. They have so much else to um, to be into that that for that has a similar role for them. I mean, they like handbags a similar way that we like watches, but we don't yeah. have as many things to be into as them. Um, no, because it's funny that you mentioned that because two days ago I recorded a podcast with our mutual buddy Rob Nuds. Yeah. So he said it was 10% of where he's at right now. So. I, I, it didn't strike me as odd, and I think there's a potential there. So the, it just popped into my head. Look, right. I mean, like I said, women can like watches as much as men. That's that's not even a question. It's just that no, sure, statistically sure. speaking, it's it's right now mostly men are into it simply because it's 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 more it's more. Uh, it's the only jewel they can wear. Yeah, it's the only jewel they can wear mostly. All right, are you reading a book currently, or is there a book you? like that you read recently and you seem like a very philosophical and analytical guy so i'm quite sure you read a lot yeah um i, I kind of cheat because i use audible right okay. so i listen which yeah, right. you know i've I, i think since i've used audible i've gone through like 150 books or something like that i don't know if that's a lot it's a lot i guess i'm listening to a very very long book right now it's war and peace surprisingly um okay I'm like not even halfway through it. It's when it's do you good. listen? It's when like, you go on hikes, Aaron? What's up? When do you listen? When you go on hikes? When you work out? 
Oh, uh, a lot in the car. When a lot drive? of times if I'm doing like, you know, housework, stuff like that. Um, used to be when traveling, it was great. You're waiting at an airport. It's like the perfect thing to be doing. Um, yeah, you just, you get in, you get in a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah, but on hikes for sure, that's a great time. Sometimes it's just great to like be in nature and kind of zone out, let your thoughts travel. So sometimes it's actually distracting for me. But, you know, yeah, you got your headphones with you on your phone, wherever you are. Yeah, amazing. All right, cool. Thank you for sharing. We're at the verge of uh, the new year. Do you have an uh, opinion what's going to be the color of next year? <laughs> Why can't people just like all colors all the time? I've never well, understood this notion of trending well, that was colors. The trend. That was the trend in all the episodes. A lot of okay, look, green, look, brands are these fashion reports because in the clothing world, they have to rally behind certain colors. Otherwise, they won't be able to sell enough stuff, right? Yeah. So they have this notion of where they, they all get together like, hey, everyone, let's sort of just, we'll be into this sort of same shade of blue and it'll help us all, okay? So the watch industry, because they still think that most of their buyers are from the fashion world, totally not true at all. I always find that hilarious. They, so much marketing to the fashion world, so little sales to the fashion world. It's like, so it's aspirational for them. Like, oh, we want more like runway models to spend their money on our stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, so it, it's sort of arbitrary, right? And so they make these, they, they, they focus on these colors from season to season. It goes to blue, to green, maroon, red, whatever. Sometimes it just copies a popular watch. Um, you know, people have a color they like, you know, like I might like yellow, you might be into red or orange. Just find the color you like. Don't narrow yourself down to the same black or blue or silver dial. Try some new stuff. You'll be surprised. Look, I love green as a color. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite color. Most green watches I can't pull off. I have, you know, the green Rolex and I like that one a lot. It, it works well, but green's hard to pull off. Brown is hard to pull off. Um, just find a color palette that you like. Don't focus on it being trendy or something like that. I don't know. I like bold color, just like you. Like you said, you. I like bold color, but this sort of notion of the color, I just hate this notion of trendiness. If you're in the mood for yellow and it's not in, don't worry. Wear yellow as much as you want. I agree with you. I love your point of view. And I think that, that the Swiss industry finally is woke in the sense that they're experimenting not only dials and straps cases different materials finally they're they're getting out of their their little bubble and experimenting and, and think of ceramics and forged carbons and the sapphire cases and colored sapphire case so i think we'll see colors an array of colors, colors the new diamonds colored uh, is a way to get attention without looking like suspicious of, like you're trying to rub money in someone's face like wearing a lot of diamonds calls a lot of attention to you, but it also looks like you're trying to be like, I'm better than you. Yeah, if you're wearing like, like you think of like Brazil or Italian tastes, they wear these crazy big watches with all these colors. It's all about getting attention in a way that yeah. isn't like in violation of good Catholic norms. Yeah, yeah, well put. <laughs> Last one. Have you ever been to Amsterdam? And if so, what's your favorite memory? Um. <laughs> Yes, I've been to Amsterdam. Unfortunately, I've only gone one time. Um, I traveled to Europe after I graduated high school. I actually turned 18 years old in Berlin. And during that, that time, I, I took a train from Germany uh, to Amsterdam. And 
Look, I mean, growing up as a teenager in America, when you think of Amsterdam at the time, it was just a place with legal marijuana. Uh, there's, of course, you know, it's known for the red light district. And beyond that, like as an American teenager, you didn't really know what to make of it. It was just, you know. And so my most enduring memory, and I, I don't know, I might come across as being very spoiled for this, but again, this is funny. I booked a hotel online. And this is at the time where, you know, not a lot of people were booking hotels online. I wasn't the type of person. I was like, you know, I was I was a kid. I wasn't going to go to a city and be like, I don't know where to stay. So I found a, a place, a booked online that I could afford. I go to this hotel, and this is the first time in my life that I learned very abruptly that there are hotel rooms that don't have bathrooms in them. And uh, as a, as sort of a spoiled city boy from L.A., I, real I just had this, like, amazing culture moment where I'm like, wow, you've been living it really easy. This is a hotel where people pay and they're totally okay with not having a toilet in their room. I was just awestruck. It was a cult it was like a culture clash moment there. And I learned how sheltered I was as an American. Um, I had a good three or four days there. I was I did what most tourists did is I went from the uh, the coffee house to coffee house. So my memory is a little bit fuzzy. Um, I went to all the museums. I think that the art museums there are fantastic. If you love art, then, you know, it's, it's a small city. I walked across the entire city within, it wasn't that long of a time. I was like, that's, that's Amsterdam? It's so much, you know, it's like, I, how, like, how do they shove in all the cool stuff in this tiny place? Um, you know, the streets are small. There's canals. Um, you know, I, 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 I know there's just so much more there nowadays. You know, there's all these businesses and startups. There seems to be a lot of open-minded technological and, and entrepreneurial thinking in Europe consolidated in the Amsterdam area. Um, right. I, I haven't been there recently, but that seems like a very exciting part of the culture now. It's true. And you should definitely come back again because two decades ago, things changed a lot here. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, exa exactly. It's been, it's been 20 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's a long time. So on your next trip to Switzerland, pop over. You have an open invitation, and we're going to have some fun. Um, I see a lot of uh, questions streaming in. A lot of viewers or, or actually people that wanted to join live couldn't send in their questions. Um, we have 25 minutes to go. I obviously have a lot of questions for you. Um, first and foremost, you already answered my question why you started a blog to watch. Um, 13 years in now. I, I, I reckon you guys reap in huge quantities of views. Um, I, I've read somewhere that you guys even say the biggest. I don't know what criteria classifies, but you're definitely in the top five in the world. Um, <laughs> definitely. Um, where, where are you going to take it next? So you did podcasts. You did some videos recently, I saw. That's a, so that's a very good question. To watch. What are you guys doing now? Well, the thing is, we're it, we're not alone, right? There is a slice of the watch industry known as watch media. Yeah. And so watch media, like watch retail, is a part of the industry. And I think it's an integral part of the industry. I, I don't know of any other industries like this that could survive without good media. It's imagine, for example, a watch industry that didn't have professional uh, third party retails like yourself. It was just brand 
selling directly to consumer. It, it wouldn't look very pretty. You know it wouldn't work very well. Um, the brands, as much as they would like to do that successfully, still rely on third parties. The, the dirty work, so to say, of selling a watch is something that brands historically have not been very good at. Um, and, and I think Rolex is the best example of that is they, they rely on the world's biggest network of third-party retailers to do that specifically because it's not something they want to do. And they know that third parties are better, better motivated to do it. Yeah. So my future is linked with the future of watch media. And we also have an industry that doesn't necessarily know how to make use of it. Um, for example, we talked about, you know, I was joking about how they market to the fashion industry, even though that represents a very small percentage of their sales. Like that's a big problem. An, indus an industry is spending a lot of money marketing towards the fashion industry, thinking that editorial and fashion publications will help sell you know, men's watches. And you and I are like, I don't ever look at those publications. That never trickles down to me at all. They, they, we know they have limited budgets. And so for them to use them so inefficiently is very problematic. And so the feedback loop where you have sort of a, 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 an academic body that is also a, a watch media, call them journalists, call them analysts, whatever it is, that's able to make a living in this space is very crucial to the health of the space, in my opinion. Um, you know, and to do that, you need to have a couple of professional companies doing it from different parts of the world. And right now, especially during the pandemic, the viability of watch media has been, has been so threatened. And I've talked about the, the potential extinction of watch media is that companies that don't want to go under go into retail. They become a competitor of yours. Mm -hmm. And what those end up being are watch stores that have online catalogs which is yeah. great and, and there's definitely a market for that, but it does not replace or satisfy the criteria of independent watch media that is guiding the industry, guiding the consumer, creating experience, curating the conversation. It's just a sort of necessary limb in the body, which is the, the watch industry. And so I am doing a lot of what I call advocacy work right now. Um, a lot of it is doing studies and, and reports and speaking at, at conferences and having conversations like this, where we ask the question, what is it that we want watch media to be? And this is a this is a, an answer that the entire industry needs to make. Everyone, the brands need to pitch in and say, watch media helps us. I mean, we've done studies where we ask ourselves, um, how many transactions are we responsible for? Um, just to get an idea of how much money are we actually making the industry that we're meant to serve? And it, it turns out it's quite a bit. Of course, so of course. understanding that we generate a lot of income, if watch media were, were to go away, it would represent a significant economic threat to the watch industry. And so I I'm, agree. I agree. Forget, forget about direct sales. We talked about it, uh, the reason to start this was sharing passion and knowledge and reducing ignorance in a positive way, not calling ignorance negative, but taking away uh, not knowing, right? So to educate. It's a big, big part of it. And um, what you just said as a final statement, we can concur because we've been marketing partners. So you guys have helped us out sell unique pieces that we created. So it definitely works. And um, we totally agree. And, 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 and I think that only us sitting here and the quantity of viewers that we have and interaction shows the fact that there is a need. Um, did a blog to watch ever sell a watch? Till today, or are you the last of the Mohicans? 
I don't. I don't think we have to call it as last of the Mohicans. I think it's a very natural thing. Um, I have designed watches that others have sold. I mean, yeah. I have you've never actually retailed. You've never retailed a watch at a block to watch. No, yeah. and I don't know why we would. Why would we do something so simple as is um, begin to compete with those those entities we have business relationships with? I mean, I see our advertisers as clients, and remember, I have a legal background. Why would I do something which is a conflict of interest with my clients? Doesn't make any sense. Plus, okay, I celebrate so, the fact that selling watches is a distinct skill unto itself. I could not do what you do. You do something where you have to manage risk. You have to say, what do I buy? How do I sell it to people? How do I have the discipline to hold on to certain things long enough to wait for the sale, not to sell it as a discount, which actually ends up hurting my own space in the long run? You have to live a life of an enormous level of discipline that I respect and I could not replicate. With that vice said, we each have a role. Versa, vice versa, Ariel, there's a huge convergence going on where media is becoming retail. And obviously us retailers need to become media companies pumping out content, which we never can do as good as you are. Because hey, we're not retail. And that's exactly the crossroad that you guys are objective and we're not. And I, I love that. Uh, segmentation but <laughs> besides COVID they're volatile times everybody's looking for their way and and I do call you last of the Mohicans because of the top five I think you're the only one who holds on to the stance which is very difficult to hold on to look I'm gonna tell you something this year we're gonna start to see a lot of money invested in advertising for watch retailers online right now there still is not that much money invested in this space um there's reasons for that but it will come soon where brands and retailers will start to invest heavily especially the big groups you know the watches of switzerland the bucharest the ones that have stores all over the world mm -hmm. and they will start to say wait a minute we are now also selling online we need to capture that online interest mm -hmm. you know the chrono 24s of the world are getting too much business because there's really no competition yeah you know there's there's think of sort of the 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 mr porter and hodinky space these are authorized dealers for brands <clears throat> that have very few authorized dealers online everything else is gray market so they basically have the corner uh, the, i'm sorry the market cornered which is why they're able to perform in, a, in a, any positive light the moment groups start to come in and compete in that space all bets are off yeah. now a blog to watch is a neutral space that reaches people interested in, in buying watches. I want to provide a great advertising experience for those groups that want to invest in reaching our audience. If I compete in that space, I make that unmarketable advertising space. Why would I do that? I'm never gonna be able to sell watches as good as watches of Switzerland or you. Why would I even try? Amazing. I should be a space where you can feel comfortable to come to reach people that want to buy what it is you got to sell. What, I have a long-term vision that that's an extremely viable model, and you need that, and your friends need that all around the world. Why would I say this shouldn't exist? Right now, the brands have not yet recognized that there's value here, have not supported the retailers and say, go spend money there. But that will come. So as long as I maintain a long-term a long -term outlook, understanding that there's this massive um, you know, push to online commerce in all ways, especially through authorized dealers online, why would I shoot myself in the foot right now? I salute you. I compliment you. Um, I love this analysis. You thought about it. You act upon it. And it's difficult to keep this stance. 
because uh, it has been a difficult year for every media company. I think. Uh, look, look, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna say right now. I don't think this model of people selling online is going to make sense in, in the long run for a lot of them. I think that if they're good at it, Fratello, for example, will just become in a certain amount of years just a, a good multi-brand online dealer. That's what they're going to be. That's that's the direction that I think that entity wants to go into. That's fine, but no one's going to be like, I'm going to go there to learn about the whole industry and what's cool in general. It's I'm going to go there, and increasingly, it's going to be about what's sold there. It's it's fine. It's a it's it's a route that they've wanted to take, but I don't want there to be any illusions that it's going to be a blog in the sense where there's this neutral, opinionated team versus the staff of the store that needs to have marketing material to keep people coming back to the store. This is this is an amazing discussion, and and I think that maybe we should consider doing a panel discussion about it. You yourself, or me with you, or whatever. Um, we're going towards three quarters of our hour session already. <laughs> I, I I know we have a lot to discuss, and I always love to jam with you and philosophize with you. I would love you to be back on the show in season two. I definitely want to give now a platform to our viewers because a lot of questions are streaming in. We have 15 minutes to go. I don't want to sh cut you short, Ariel, because I love no, this funny. question, actually. Um, Dala, I'm looking at you backstage. Should we go to questions right now? Okay. This is cool. I've never used StreamYard before. This is kind of neat. StreamYard is amazing. I love it. So... Our dear viewers, ask your questions. We have 15 minutes left, so if you want to interact with Ariel, first one is on Facebook. Tim van Dorst, what are your thoughts on Serica as a micro brand? I'm sorry, which brand? Oh, Serica. I don't. It's so micro. I haven't heard of it. Why don't you tell? Okay. Why don't you pull it up right now, and I'll let you know what I think. Yeah, Dala will pull it up, and we're gonna have a look together. Okay. All right. Cool. I don't know it either, by the way. So, good call, Tim. Thank you for sharing that with us. So Tim, thank you for the question. I mean, you know, I'm seeing here obviously a watch that mixes a lot of elements. I'm in my mind, I'm seeing the Spidoflex bracelet. I don't think that's what this is, but uh, do you see that as well? Like the kind of like uh, the one that yeah, you pull. It's like yeah, that's what it looks like. Uh, Fixoflex or flex straps. Uh, there's Fixoflex. Yeah. All right. So the so, bracelet looks a little bit narrow for the case, I got to say. That's yeah. always something that sticks out. Um, I don't know. You know, there's there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be like, that looks like my dad's watch. And there's a place in everyone's heart to wear what they think was their dad's watch or looked like their dad's watch. This is like there's a everybody's collection has the, the watch that's like their dad's watch. So maybe, Tim, maybe this reminds you of your dad's watch. Maybe your dad, you're like, this is what a dad would wear. It's fine, you know. I, I again, it's not a, it's not remarkably original. Um, it's classic. It's uh, no one's going to be like, "What are you wearing, sir?" Um, you know, it, it's it's definitely something that like if they came to us and wanted to be featured on a blog to watch, I'd be like, "Okay, there's enough people out there that could be into this." Um, but I can't stop thinking about how the bracelet's way too narrow for the case. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Next question, please, Dala. Ernie, our friend. Oh, you seek right on YouTube. Hi, Arrow. Nice to see you and hear you talk about watches again. If I had to ask you a question, I'd probably wanted to know what your in brackets best next step after 
<laughs> would be. And just a bit of background, guys. Ernie is our friend. He founded whatyouseek.com and he is kind of retired. He started a bit of retail now. So that oh, is why he missed Ernie, don't we? Ernie, come back. Um, Ernie's the guy, that, yeah, he started Watch You Seek, which I, you know, would read a lot uh, when I was just getting started, you know, in 2007. And I remember when I met Ernie early on when I started traveling to Basel World and thought like that. I was like, oh, wow. If more, if, if, if this is represents the type of guy in the watch industry, I'm going to have such a wonderful experience. And then it was like, no, Ernie's the rare one. <laughs> so I got spoiled really early on because he was such a lovely guy. Um, yeah, he's amazing. And his wife as well. No, so the question is, you know, you, you have all, you develop all these skills after, you know, more than a decade of professionally being in this space. And if you had, if they had to translate into something else, what would that be? Um, the irony is, I don't know if there's any brands I'd want to work at, right? Like, I don't think I could, like, go in-house at a brand. I don't know. Maybe if someone wanted to trust me with, like, a brand budget, I guess I could run a brand. That's something that I guess I could do. Um, because, you know, I, I understand what collectors like. So you sort of you do, you do sort of be it, right? Like, when he bought Hublot, he's like, they have the industrial capacity. They have this legacy, blah, 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 blah. But they don't know anything about marketing. Their products could really use a kick in the ass. Like I can make this a better brand, and and he did, and and he's done that a few times, and and he had to he used his own money. Um, I think that there needs to be more money to take individuals like me that like get how a consumer's mind you know works today, and, and says they want to make products to satisfy guys like that. So that's a viable model. But this culture isn't really like that, and as an American, I'm definitely not considered. Um, Americans are not highly prioritized in decision-making roles at European luxury companies. So probably would have to be outside of the watch space. And I think what I understand best is complex storytelling to men, mm -hmm. right? Like marketing to guys like us often really misses the mark and mm -hmm. either in sort of like an advertising or content creation capacity or at a company is sort of like a head of communication or something like that. That's probably what a profile like mine is, is groomed for. Or there's like the weird fantasy job where there's a consortium of very rich people that make me their like watch buyer. And somehow I'm compensated to go around the world and do other watch buying bidding. But that's, you know, again, that's leaning on, on fantasy levels of, of what someone like me could be, could do. There are, but, there are a few guys that do that, right? That that operate like uh, art consultants. But okay, all right. We have so much ground to cover. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you, Ariel, for answering. Dala, next one, please. This is our buddy Rocky, who runs the Watch Four Crew in the Netherlands. He asks on YouTube, "What is the best in brackets watch release in 2020 in the category of three to seven k dollars?" In your you know, right in the middle there is the Rolex Oyster Perpetual 41, mm. which is the first entry-level Rolex in a while that I think a watch guy could really be into, right? Mm -hmm. Like for a long time, like you and I, we wouldn't want the entry-level Rolex. Something wrong with it. It's just, it wasn't like a watch guy's one. Now the size and the movement, all the color options. Um, here's the the mustard and ketchup. I, I you know, I, I took pictures of those two because I thought those were the most cool colors. I mean, in Holland, in Holland would be mayo, mayonnaise, 
and ketchup, right? It's you know it's a more of a mustardy yellow, I have to say. But you know, look, it's it's I, a cool watch, and Tag Heuer has had some great watches. Breitling has had some fantastic watches um, this year. The Swatch Group, you know, they haven't really mentioned it too much, but you know, Hamilton and Longines, you know, some very some very strong players in this in this area. Um, I really like the Breitling Chronomat Forty Two, a little bit higher than this range, um, but I'd say that you know this area was kind of weird because a lot of the micro brands this year were of course below 3000 and then a lot of the like real luxury watches were above 7000. So even though this is like a super important space, um, a lot of the brands sort of, I think held back from some of their more important releases that were in this, in this price category. And this is a space which is increasingly being served by the good old Japanese brands. Seiko, for example, has an enormous variety of stuff. Seiko alone, like high-end Seiko for like anywhere from like three to 6,000, like super cool stuff. I have a Seiko uh, titanium spring drive uh, on my desk here in front of me that I've enjoyed immensely. That's 6,000 as well. So basically the same price as the entry-level Rolex. So for 6,000 bucks, you can get an incredible watch these days from the best brands available. So there's, there's definitely a lot out there. So I, I agree that this is a very strong price point right now. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Rocky. Kentaro asks on YouTube, out of your whole watch collection, which one has the craziest story around it? <laughs> oh, my God. You met, do, you, do you remember in, in March where I started this crazy thing where I was going to talk about um, a lot of my watches like live on YouTube. So on YouTube live, yeah, I did yeah, watches yeah, at home yeah. with Ariel Adams. Yeah. I didn't even get through my entire collection after 21 hours. Yeah. 21 hours of talking about my watches. Um, and I didn't, I didn't talk about a single Rolex, for example, like not what in 21 hours. Um, here's the thing. When I look at watches in my collection, I associate you know, a time and place in my life, just like you, you know, you see a watch, you got you're like, you remember how old you were and what you were doing. And being able to associate memories with watches makes those memories more permanent. Yeah. It's a very personal thing, right? Like it's something that people can understand. So, you know, do I have funny stories about, you know, trading for a watch or doing some weird thing to buy a watch? Yeah. I have all kinds of stuff like that, but I think, you know, when I, when I see that I, I smile because I think about, the stuff that only I know, that only I ever know I will do while I wore that watch or within the same week of getting that watch or things like that. Um, you know, a story that comes to mind, for example, and this is, I just found this very ironic. There was a Tag Heuer watch I bought. It was it was the, the, the Nendo. It's a mm -hmm. Japanese limited edition. And the irony is I only learned about this watch because of an advertisement that Tag Heuer had on my own website. So... I would not have learned about this watch if it wasn't for an ad on, on my website. It was a Japanese limited edition that they moved to Geneva for me that I bought at their, at their boutique in Geneva. You know, the little tag Heuer store there. Yeah. Um, and then when I, I did this video of this watch and you know, the, that watch contains the 1887 movement in there, which, yeah. which tag Heuer had to license and re-engineer from Seiko. And there's this amazing story about this that I actually learned that same week I bought that watch from Mr. Baban himself, who was running Tag Heuer at the time. So I do this impassioned video uh, about this watch where I talk I about this. 
how it reminds me of the story. I decided I'd love to watch as well. Yeah, so there's this great story about the Japanese connection of the movement and the watch. And then Tag Heuer at the time freaks out like, no, we don't want you to talk about the 1887 store anymore. It's a really big sore point. We don't want to draw any attention to it, da, 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 da. So I had to take down this video. So the whole week of buying this watch, the circumstances of learning about this watch, who I, like so much of my, of what defines me can be t thought about in this one little watch that I have so much, so rich with storytelling experience. And Amazing. so this comes to mind of something that just like, I don't know how I could translate to someone else, but I, I could, you know, I could literally speak for two or three hours straight about all the things that this watch reminds me of. And, and it, you know, I'm sure you have watches like that as well. Just like a bunch of weird stuff coalesces in one thing. The time capsule and embodiment of emotions and memory. And you made a full circle story because Kentaro is Japanese. So I, we have loads of questions. Um, I would love to have you back on the show. I think we should wrap it up. You need to go to bed soon. Uh, <laughs> I want to say thank you, thank you very much. And and we have so much to discuss because I'm looking at the background of our video and we didn't even discuss our biggest shared passion and our friend Itai Noi. So we definitely need to catch up and reconnect again because we need to talk about him and many more micro brands because we didn't even really scratch the surface. Um, I'll come back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next week, same uh, Thursday, but at noon, we have Martina Etty of Nomos on the show. So definitely tune in then. I want to thank you very, very, very much, Ariel. I had great fun. It was uh, so well. I learned a lot. Um, wishing you a happy holiday season. Happy Hanukkah. Yes, it's like this week, right? Definitely. We're starting tonight. So don't forget to, well, you're starting tomorrow, but we're starting tonight. This, so, is, I'm, gonna, this is the first year that I'm going to show my son how to light the candles and stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. And uh, see you on the other side. You as well. And thank you to everyone for joining us. Thank you for all the viewers as well and for the awesome questions. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.